Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here we go. Flyers Daily for Friday, February 18th. Flyers go down in heartbreak fashion. Just unbelievable the way that game finished last night against the Washington Capitals. Rarely when you hold Ovechkin, Backstrom, key players off the scoreboard when when facing the Caps. Usually if you hold those guys down, you got a real good chance of winning. Flyers did have a real good chance of winning. Final three minutes of the game, um, they kind of found a way to lose the game, unfortunately. They get out, or they outshoot the Caps in the game 33-25. to And after the first period, even though they outshot the Caps in the first period, I think like 11-8, to uh, they didn't have many great scoring chances in the first, although they did possess the puck and played in Washington's zone quite a bit. But in the second and third period, they had a lot of really good scoring chances. As a matter of fact, the expected goals model for this game had the Flyers with more expected goals than the Caps. And they ultimately, though, they come away with a loss. Good hockey game, entertaining game to watch, bad result. Real simple. There was physicality in the game. There was tension. There were scrums. There was a fight. There was hitting. There was dynamic playmaking on both sides of the ice. And... uh, Some players really stepped up. Jerry Mayhew, you'll hear Mike Yo get asked about Jerry Mayhew. Two goals in the game, a power play goal. I mean, if you'd have told me before the season that Jerry uh, Jerry Mayhew would have a power play goal against the Capitals this year, I would have said, who's Jerry Mayhew? (laughs) And he was elevated to the top line for a portion of this game, taking over for Oscar Lindblom, along with Claude Giroux and Cam Atkinson. And he gets two goals in the game, his first multi-goal game as an NHL player. But all in all, it ends up for naught. Travis Sanheim, I think, played his strongest game of the year. Maybe the strongest game in two years. Jumping up in the play, using that speed that he has, that offensive part of his game, also defending well. And he he got two assists in the game. He assists on the Mayhew goal to make it 3-2. He has an assist earlier in the, or a goal earlier in the game, uh, where he jumps up in the play and finishes that two-on-one with Travis Konechny after Claude Giroux makes a tremendous pass at the blue line as they entered the zone to spring the two-on-one. Some great plays, tic-tac-toe passing on the Mayhew goal. Nice feed from Limblom uh, on a couple of uh, passes that take place on that good, decisive, strategic, you know, execution of offense. And that couple goals off the rush for the Flyers. The Sanheim goal comes off the rush. The Mayhew goal that gave him the 3-2 lead comes off the rush. But as good as those things were, you still have some of the old things that have been shooting this team in the foot rear their head. And again, it's Flyers take a lead in the third period at 16.09, and within a minute, it's the Caps who get it tied when Garnet Hathaway picks up the goal. And then just a couple minutes later, 18.48, uh, horrible turnover from Ivan Provorov behind the net, and it ends up on the stick of Garnet Hathaway, who is just sitting in the slot, getting ready basically to you know, retreat the zone because of a zone exit, but all of a sudden it ends up on a stick and he's able to beat Martin Jones, who had no chance on that. And then eventually they get the empty netter from John Carlson and the Caps win the game five to three. But you look at that play, you look at the the goal that they had, the go-ahead goal by Hathaway, his second of the game, and the turnover by Provorov, that that was perfect execution of a 2-1-2-4 check. First... Puck gets chipped into the zone down below the goal line. The left defenseman, or right side defenseman for the Flyers, the left of the on uh, the attacking Washington Capitals, 
player goes F1 goes right to Justin Braun. He's got to give it up. He puts it behind the net to Ivan Provorov, who has F2 right on him, who is Carl Hagelin. Flyers have the center curling, who is Scott Lawton. And, you know, Provorov sees him in his peripheral vision, and he tries to quick up the Scott Lawton to go out of the zone. But Hagelin reads the play as that F2 in the 2-1-2 causes the turnover, and that's exactly what the 2-1-2 forecheck is supposed to do, is create those turnovers with kind of sellout pressure, if you will, putting two guys deep in the zone. If you beat it, it goes the other way, and you've got numbers the other way. If it doesn't, it's a turnover, and you get a quick strike scoring opportunity, which is exactly what happened. Provorov, I don't know if he didn't see Haglin or didn't know where he was in his proximity, but uh, Haglin, as soon as he sees Provorov grab that on his backhand and start to pivot toward his backhand and not rim it around on his forehand, he jumps it, gets it to Hathaway, back of the net. That's the Capitals' lead game. And it's great execution by the Capitals and certainly a mistake by Ivan Provorov. And I, I know he feels bad, but these mistakes, you know, they just they just seemingly keep happening. We'll hear Mike Yo at the end of this as well talking about finding a way to win games, not finding a way to lose games. And, you know, you play a really good game through 57 minutes, and then in the last three minutes, the, the, the detrimental three minutes of the game, and you end up walking away with nothing. And those are his words, that we come away with this with nothing. And there's no moral victories in pro sports. It's, you know, it's a business predicated on wins and losses. And ultimately, the Flyers lost. They played a good game. They played a hard game. And yeah, they're depleted and all that, but some guys really stepped up in the hockey game. But ultimately, like I said, good game, entertaining game, had every element, but bad result for the Flyers as they lose now their fourth straight game. And they'll see the Caps in a couple of days' time. We'll see the Caps uh, a week from tomorrow when they take them on at 1230 at the Wells Fargo Center. Flyers will be back at it coming up on Monday, a matinee game against the Carolina Hurricanes, and then Tuesday, back-to-back games with the St. Louis Blues. So... Uh, all in all, like I said, an entertaining game, but a bad result for the Flyers as they come away uh, with a fourth straight loss. Now, in this episode, we're going to put on hold for this episode um, some of the submissions for what's wrong with the Flyers. And I've gotten a, f- a bunch more. People keep sending them to me via Twitter and DMing me, and I appreciate it. At Jason Mert, J-A-S-O-N-M-Y-R-T. We're going to get to all of them. Um, and some great submissions came in. But I thought in this episode, coming off this game, with all that's happened kind of in the past week, the the press conference of Giroux and everything, and, and the games, the Penguins game, and now this game, it would be a good opportunity to take some Twitter questions. We have not done that in a while. I haven't even done an Ask Billy in a while. Maybe we'll do that for this uh, Monday's episode as well. So I figured good time to take some Twitter questions. So let's get it to it. And we start with... Drewski tweets in, Drewski Pucks. He says, did it bother you when nobody stuck up for Drew when he was cross-checked into the boards? Now, he was cross-checked in the second period from behind. And at first, I was sitting in the press box, and I said to the guy next to me, I said, what, nobody's going to do anything? Captain just got cleaned from behind. Nobody's going to do anything? At first, it did bother me, Drewski. But, you know, when you're playing the Caps, and it's a tight game as it was at that point, you have to be real careful not to put yourself on the penalty kill for obvious reasons. You have one of the great 
I think, the greatest goal scorer of all time and the best power play scorer of all time in Alexander Ovechkin. So you're trying to win a game. you got to pick your spots. And that takes discipline, and that's hard sometimes. So my initial reaction, if I'm being totally honest, which I, which I am on this podcast all the time at Drewski, um, yeah, it did bother me at first. But then, you know, two shifts later, when Lawton goes out there and absolutely cleans Kemp, Kempney in the corner and then gets in the fight with Trevor Van Riemsdyk, that was answering for it. That was That was the retaliation. And it was a good, clean hit. And they took offense to it, and Flyers ended up on the power play. They ended up not scoring on it. But, um, yeah, so at first it did bother me, but when I did see all said and done that there was a response to it, uh, I was okay with it. And, again, you don't want to put that team on the power play. Every time you play the Caps and Ovechkin's there, so for the last 17 years, literally, the coach before the game on the whiteboard writes, stay out of the box. You don't want to put yourself on the penalty kill. And the Flyers' penalty kill has struggled mightily of late. Mightily. It performed pretty well in the beginning of the season. It is not now. So you're trying to win a hockey game. You're trying to end a losing skid. You're trying to start off an eight-game homestand with a win. So in hindsight, looking at all the factors, uh, I'm okay with how things ended up playing out. Flyer Lama tweets in. He says, would it be possible to trade Provorov as part of a Chikrin deal to Arizona? Provy needs to be traded if we can get real assets for him. Well, that trade doesn't make any sense. For I mean, Arizona is looking to trade Jacob Chikrin, who is a really good left-shot defenseman. Um, both players have the same exact amount of term on their contract. They have three years after this season. Now, Chikrin is cheaper. He's a really good player. $4.6 million AAV, again, for three more years. So he's under contract through the 24-25 season. And Ivan Provorov is also under contract through the 24-25 season at 6.75. So would you make that deal? And why would they be trading Jacob Chikorin, who is under contract on a really good deal, to just grab another player that's basically that plays the same position and is more expensive? What they're looking for is they're looking for prospects. They're looking to rebuild again. I mean, that's all they do is rebuild in Arizona. It makes no sense why they would trade him when you have a good player that's got three years left beyond this. He's a, a piece I'd build around. But that's Arizona. It doesn't make any sense. So trading Provorov to Arizona, I think Arizona would have zero interest in that for the reasons I just stated. Mike H. tweets in. He says, I'm kind of shocked so many teams are checking in on the Flyers. Any smoke or just due diligence? Well, the Flyers are a team that's going to be in sell mode, and they have several, several unrestricted free agents after this season. So, yeah, it's due diligence, but it, is there smoke around? Yeah, there's players that teams are going to be looking for. I mean, Justin, like it or not, Justin Braun is going to yield you probably a pretty good return. A right-side defenseman, veteran guy, good leader, not going to make any waves in a locker room, has been on some really high-end winning teams in San Jose, still can play, can kill penalties. He'll, he will get you something. He is a, a good pickup, a depth defenseman for a bottom pair for a team trying to win a cup that needs to shore up some D. Uh, number one, Rasmus Ristolainen didn't play tonight, but he's another guy that teams are absolutely looking at. The physicality he brings, that's something that can pay dividends in a seven-game playoff series. And again, right-shot defenseman. 
You look at, obviously, Claude Giroux is, is a name that has been well talked about, and obviously there's a lot there. Martin Jones is another guy. Teams always need goaltending depth. You don't want that to sink you in the playoffs if your starter gets hurt. So absolutely, there's a lot. there was a lot of scouts there tonight. And you look at some of the teams that were there, Calgary in the building, Winnipeg. Uh, there's, there's a lot of interest in a lot of the guys on the Flyers, for sure. When you think about the hockey trades, the guys that have termed beyond this year, guys like Konechny or Provorov or Sanheim or whoever, when you look, think about those guys, those are more off-season deals. But they do have expiring players and players like Justin Braun who aren't on a huge contract, so it's easy to fit on numerous teams. So, yeah, there's, there's smoke there, I believe, uh, very strongly. TB Flyer tweets in. He says, we see the Giroux trade speculation daily now, but not much about Ristolainen. If he's not re-signed, what team do you think makes the most sense for a trade and what's your expected return? Well, if you can get multiple teams involved, which I think there will be for a guy like Rasmus Ristolainen, and he's a guy, again, right shot defenseman and physical. And we've seen these teams like Tampa in particular. They grabbed David Savard last year, got a first and a third for David Savard. Um, so I think you're looking at that type of return for a guy like Rasmus Ristolainen. Now, the first-round pick is obviously not the 12th overall pick. You're, he's going to go to a team that's making the playoffs, so likely in the 20s. But, um, that, hey, look, you try and recoup. I don't think he's going to resign here. I think he's going to go to free agency. So he's a guy that, that will get dealt. There hasn't been as much talk about him and some of the other players for obvious reasons. It's like uh, like an eclipse of the sun. Giroux is such a big name out there, not only locally, but across the league. He's the big marquee prize of the rental market. He's playing great. I mean, in the game last night, he went 19 of 21 in the faceoff circle. Now, a good percentage in the NHL for a centerman is about 52-53% to win your draws. 54 to 56%, you're the best in the league. He's number two in the league behind Patrice Bergeron uh, of face-off guys. He won 19 of 21 draws in that game last night. That's a big element for a team. Can play center, can play wing, can kill penalties, can play power play, stays healthy, and is having a very good season. All of those things, I mean, he is, obviously for obvious reasons, a big target from a lot of teams. Dean Tanner tweets in. He says, they play well for 57 minutes and get a lead. Why can't they close? Is it mental? Bad bounces? What? Um, this one wasn't a bad bounce, I don't think, Dean. Uh, you know, I think it, I think this was just a bad play. You know, Provorov made the wrong play. It happens sometimes. You hope it happens at a time in the game that's not as detrimental. This time it was. David Mew at GoFlyBoys13 tweets in and says, where do the Flyers rank as a destination city for free agents? It's an interesting question because, you know, at one point when the league was not salary capped, obviously Philadelphia was an area that a lot of people wanted to come to because they spent more money than other people. And ultimately, players, it's more about the deal you're going to get. And uh, But Sean Shapiro from The Athletic just put out an article a couple weeks ago, I think I talked about it here on the pod, and I had him on my Stick to Hockey Live show uh, to talk about it. And 
he polled 20 agents, 20 of the biggest agents in the NHL. And the Flyers ranked third as a destination they would push their clients toward. So why is that? Well, part of that's reputation. Part of that's the city. Part of that is the organization and how they treat players, facilities. You know, one of the things that Sean cited when I had him on was that when a player comes up in Philadelphia and makes his NHL debut, no matter who he is, whether it's a guy that's going to be here in an NHL for a decade or a guy that's going to get a cup of coffee, see one or five games in a league, they get to keep the jersey that they wear for their first game. Now, if you want to do that in most NHL cities, they make you buy it. Literally, they have to pay for it like a fan. Like you and I would have to pay for a jersey. Flyers give it to them. They also take care of the kids, the families, the wives very well, all of those things. So yeah, it still is a destination and well thought of in hockey circles. But ultimately, if you don't have cap space, it's obviously not that well thought of because players only play for a limited time and they want to get paid. And it is a business. At P4 L-E-P-W-N-R. I don't know if there's a way to pronounce that. Tweets in and says, when will the organization acknowledge that we're not a few pieces away and need an actual rebuild? Well, I don't know what you mean by an actual rebuild. Is that tear it down, tear it down to the studs, get really bad, get all these draft picks, and, and then hope and pray that it works out? Because find me an example of that where it's worked. I feel like I'm beating my head into a wall. Again, look at the teams that have done that. Have they won anything? They have not. That is not the way to build in hockey. It's just not the way to do it. Uh, You can get a great player, like Edmonton got McDavid. I'd love to have McDavid. But they haven't won anything. They just fired their coach a week ago. They're probably not making the playoffs. They have not won anything with all those great players. And you got to ask yourself, do I really have the stomach to tear it all the way down? I mean, that's three years of horrific hockey. To then rebuild it, that's two to three more years. And no guarantee and no examples of where that's worked. So, again, I ask. They are more than a few pieces away. There's roster construction issues. They have some players with talent, but do they fit together? There's all those things. Bahama Mama Enthusiast tweets in and says, who are the your three untouchables at the moment? He said, he said, I'd say the only players I'd like them to keep are 17, 82, and 14, given that they're the only consistent players. I'm aware of the value in others, but everyone else can be moved. Team needs a major overhaul. So I tweeted him back and said, I assume that you mean 89 Atkinson and not 82 Connor Bunneman. And he said, yes, but the question still stands. All right, so I want to attack this from a couple of different ways. First of all, um, I have categories that I would put players in when it comes to trading them. I have my, you have a, an untouchable category, which nobody's in. I have a not looking to trade category unless I'm absolutely blown away, then I have, yeah, I'll listen category, and then, yeah, I'm shopping this guy category. And the the three players that you listed are Zach McEwen, Cam Atkinson, and Sean Couturier. So, okay, 
Couturier kicking off a new contract, been hurt this year. We've talked about him enough. As far as Zach McEwing being an untouchable, like I like Zach McEwing, Bahama Mama enthusiast, but you cannot be serious that he's untouchable. You can't. He's a fourth-line player. If you're going to make a fourth-line player untouchable as a general manager, you're fired. He's not untouchable. Cam Atkinson got some years left on his deal. I'm not looking to trade Cam Atkinson. I'm not. I need scoring. He provides scoring. So, but, you know, there's there's guys I put in the categories, you know, like, like I'm not looking to make certain deals. I'm not looking to trade Cam Atkinson. But if somebody calls me and wants to offer me something and it's great value for him, I got to listen. I'm not going to hang up the phone. There's nobody I'm just hanging up the phone for. The team has 15 wins this season. There's a lot of hockey games left. Nobody's untouchable. And certainly not Zach McEwen. And look, I think Zach McEwen's coming here and done a great job. It's not an indictment on him. But fourth-line players in hockey are not untouchable. Stop overvaluing. All right, that's going to put a wrap on Twitter questions. Let's get to Mike Yo. He addressed the media after the game. talked about over the past month or so about the fact that sometimes teams have to learn how to win. Was that sort of what you saw tonight and also really both the games this week? Yeah, I would say I would say it's a that's a big part of it. I think that uh, I, like honestly, I don't even know what to say right now. Um, you know, you play fifty-seven minutes the way that we did, and uh, you know, you leave the game feeling that way. That's pretty tough. Um, so in some ways, you're thinking about the good things that you did and how we can be confident and. Going up against any team and knowing that even when we're short with players, when we play our team game the way that we do, uh, that we can have success. Uh, but we walk away with nothing here tonight, and uh, and so that's tough. But uh, uh, we just have to stay with it, and uh, and so I think that we're learning that we can have confidence uh, playing our game. Now we have to learn that we have, can have confidence finishing the game. Um, we have to learn how to win. Sometimes learning how to win is also learning how not to lose. Uh, learning to, to not beat yourself. Uh, but I think that for the most part tonight, we did a lot of really good things, but we just have to finish it. I guess learn how to do that. Is it, I mean, at some point you got to get wins yeah. to, to learn how to win, but how do you do it when you're not getting it? Well, like, obviously it's uh, being in those situations when you have confidence, when you've had wins and, uh, you know, it's, it's a different story. There's no question, but, uh, you know, I say to the players all the time for individuals, you, you know, nobody can give you confidence. We have to earn it. And uh, I think that we can, we can look at the game and we can see that we can play that way for 57 minutes. There's no way that we, you know, no reason why we can't play it for 60. And uh, you know, obviously the tension heats up a little bit, uh, you know, you, the game gets on the line and uh, you know, I, I think part of the mindset has to be that, uh, uh, you can't all of a sudden get afraid to lose or, or get afraid to, you know, uh, to, to, to make a mistake because I thought we were very aggressive in the game. I thought we were aggressive the way that we um, defended, uh, the way that we closed, the way that we took away time and space, the way that we attacked. Um, and then obviously, you know, you grab that lead. Now all of a sudden you can't just say, I've got to try to hang on here uh, because now you're just getting away from everything that you had success with. So um, there's part of it's being smart, but at the same time, it's not about being safe. Um, so we have to continue to learn that and teach that. decision to move Jerry Maggie up to the top line uh, going into the second period. What did you make of him and his play and his return to action tonight? Well, you know what? 
he works. It's a big thing. He works and he skates and, uh, um, you can have success in this league when you do those two things. And obviously he's got skill, um, to make plays and, you know, you can't just put anybody up there that that's going to work and skate, but he's got the ability to make plays and he's obviously very confident as well right now. Um, so we thought that, uh, that line needed a switch and I thought that he provided a good spark. Your thoughts on Travis Sanheim this evening? Good evening, obviously statistically for him. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think Sandy, like everybody uh, and, and our whole group, it's it's how to do it for 60 minutes. Uh, you know, obviously some great moments in the game. Um, and uh, and Sandy, for me, he's a guy that uh, he has so much ability on both sides of the puck and uh, his defensive play. You know, he's such a presence when he's aggressive, when he's strong, when he's physical, when he's, you know, assertive. Um, you know, just like everybody, sometimes I think that as a group, we get a little bit, um, you know, afraid of making a mistake and then that's when bad things happen. So want him to stay aggressive in those situations, but you saw what he was doing on the offensive side. We want to keep that mindset as well. Back to Jerry Megu, from what you've seen, are you surprised he's never made it really in the NHL? He's had a cup of coffee here and there. I, I'm surprised. You know what? I, I am, uh, you know, this is, uh, uh, you know, don't want to just what what Jerry has going for him right now is he sees that we have 10 guys out of the lineup or whatever it is, and he sees an opportunity. So um, this is the opportunity of a lifetime for him. So I don't want to take that away by letting him feel comfortable right now. Um, but at the same time, I am really happy for him because of his work ethic, because of seeing what he's been through uh, his whole career to get here. Um, you know what? Uh, he's he's proven it and he's doing it. Um, so I hope that he can continue doing it because that's a great story. Kind of going back to the, those last few plays, obviously you can break down the individual plays and you can say there's a turnover here, there's a miss assignment here. But when you go back as a coach and talk to these guys, do you look at it as individual mistakes or do you see it as a collective? Uh, well, I, I think we approach every game, you know, as that particular game. And, uh, and so tonight, yeah, like, I mean, what, what we've been doing here, I don't know. I don't know if you guys can see it. I can see it that, uh, that we can play with anybody. Like, you know, our team game is really coming along and it's finishing it that, that we're not doing the job. And, uh, and so uh, every game that we take right now, we, I mean, we're showing, I've shown way more video this year than I've ever shown uh, in my coaching career um, and uh, holding players accountable to the plays that they're not making or that we need them to make. Um, and, uh, and at the same time teaching, and that's what we have to continue to do. So uh, we'll look at the end of the game. We'll also look at the rest of the game and, uh, and we're going to keep learning and we're going to keep working towards getting to where we want to be. Mike Yo addressing the media after the game. Flyers will be back at it coming up on Monday, an afternoon affair. Matinee hockey, 3 o'clock on President's Day, as the Flyers will continue this homestand, game two of an eight-game homestand against the Carolina Hurricanes on Monday. All right, we're going to have a brand-new episode for you tomorrow of Flyers Daily. Everybody have a great Friday. We'll talk to you tomorrow on a brand-new edition of Flyers Daily.